This is the word of the Lord. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's go to him again in prayer. God, as we turn now to the preaching of your word, I pray that you will open our eyes and our ears to your truth. Father, if there are anyone who is watching this live stream, listening, that do not know your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, give them a new heart that will yearn for Him. Lord, thank You for Your grace that we have received through the giving of Your Son and His sacrifice on the cross. God, I pray that You will be praised in this time. May the preaching of Your Word go forth now and forevermore. Amen. There is a direct connection to verse 14 before our passage in chapter 1 and chapter 2, verse 1. Both verses encourage Timothy to be faithful and strong in the Lord. Verse 14, guard the good deposit. That's the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In between those verses is our text this morning, verses 15 to 18. They're inserted there as if Paul, after encouraging Timothy to stand strong in the Lord, thought of those who, who weren't strong, who were not faithful. And then he's immediately reminded of Onesiphorus a good example of living for God and being faithful to Christ and his gospel. This text this morning shows us that there's really two kinds of people in the church. Those who look for benefits to add to their life, looking for ways to gain only for themselves. And then there are those who are the true believers of the faith seeing it's all about losing their life so that they may gain a better eternal life with Christ. You see, there are those who will ride the coattails of the church when times are good. But when it gets bad or they encounter some kind of opposition or rejection, some level of suffering, and it looks like maybe they're going to lose something, they search for other things to bring them peace and comfort and security. They don't have true saving faith in Christ. They may be within the church, but honestly, they're not counted among the righteous. Consider now how we, we find ourselves in these strange times. With a global pandemic, and we're all experiencing social distancing, church was good for some when things were going well. 
They had friends when, when they gathered with others on Sunday. Maybe they heard a good message that was encouraging to them. Telling others about Jesus was important. But now things are vastly different, and it seems like overnight. This group is, is freaking out. They say they believe in Jesus, but they've quickly become hoarders. They want to shut out the news because it's just too much. They don't want to encounter anybody because of what it may cost them. They've turned inward in this time to preserve themselves. There's another group that's facing the same pandemic. The same exact danger. And they're praying for all this to end. And they look forward to the day when, when this outbreak will just disappear. But in the meantime, they see this outbreak as an opportunity to be the church. They have faith in the midst of this new struggle. They see God at work. They don't want to get sick, but for the sake of their neighbor, for the gospel to advance, they will risk their own lives for the soul of another. They reach out, even in the dangerous times, and they share Christ. One group is bound by fear. The other is walking in faith that resembles Christ. Now, it's not a perfect image of him, but they have the joy of Christ in their hearts and in their willingness to search for lost souls. In this letter, Paul has just told Timothy and to the church, that's those who are in Christ, to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And now we find about two people who were with Paul for a time, but now have turned away. And they represent a much larger group in Asia. These people who said they were part of the church have abandoned Paul. And more importantly... For you to hear this this morning, more importantly, not that they've abandoned Paul, but they've abandoned what they say they believe. Remember, Paul is in prison at this time. He's in a dark dungeon. He's even in chains. He's alone. And a large group in Asia who once said they were with him, they've now deserted him. Remember back in verse 8, Paul connects rejection of him with rejection of Christ. There was a large amount of people who at one time claimed to be believers. But at some point between hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and hearing about Paul's arrest and that he's in chains, they fled, they've, they've run away. Their confidence had been put into a decision and how things were going for them. As long as things were going well for them, they had no problem being with Christ and saying, yes, Paul is this minister who is sharing the truth. 
hearing the turn of events for Paul has now made them tremble in fear because it may affect them. And they've looked for ways to protect themselves, to distance themselves from the shame and the the hostility, maybe even the persecution that may come. The truth is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will often be left alone to defend the truth, to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're leaning on you, you will certainly fall away when it gets tough. That's why in verse 14, Paul said, By the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, guard the good deposit. You see, you and I can't do it on our own. You need God to work in you and keep you strong in the faith. You need the Holy Spirit to strengthen you and guide you, especially in times like this. If you don't, if, if you only go as far as you, you too will abandon the faith when it gets tough. You see, Paul gives two examples of this, Phygelus and Hermogenes. They not only disappointed Paul, they became ashamed of the testimony of Christ. And they're not unique. These two men represented others who turned away. Arkant Hughes points out in his study that John Calvin experienced some of the same things that Paul experienced, like the abandonment of Paul. Calvin wrote that not only did people abandon him, they started throwing accusations at him. It's likely that when Paul was deserted, he was slandered by the ones he loved. Paul says, don't be like those who say they believe, but when it, when it gets tough, they fall away. Avoid a pattern of fleeing when it gets tough. And be warned. Brother, sister in Christ, we, we need to be warned that you abandoned the church, you abandoned Christ. Your faith needs to be questioned if you flee. Paul is saying, don't, don't be part of that group. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And Paul's not talking about just good behavior. He's talking about the faith, making decisions that honor Christ in your own life. We shouldn't be like that, nor should we hang out with others who are like that. You will certainly struggle in your faith. So we're told there's, there's a pattern to avoid. You, you see Phygelus and Hermogenes and you say, nope, that's, that's not what I, I want to do. There's a good pattern. There's a good pattern to follow here. Thankfully, Paul gives us a positive example when he tells us about Onesiphorus. He not only believed the same things as Paul, he refreshed Paul. He he reached out to Paul when Paul was in chains and in that dungeon. He went to Rome. He was not a citizen of the city of Rome. He had come possibly from Ephesus to Rome and searched endlessly to find Paul. 
Now, we don't know. Perhaps Onesiphorus encouraged Paul and spurred him to keep writing, keep his thoughts on, on the Scriptures and what God had, had filled him with. Maybe, maybe he brought him some Scripture. He reminded him of, of the goodness of Christ. You see, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul being in chains. He searched for him. He risked his own life for Paul. And Paul says he was refreshed by him. And not just physically. We've learned that the Apostle Paul doesn't just look for the physical side of life. This was a spiritual refreshing that Paul experienced. His soul was nourished when his brother came into the dungeon and refreshed him. Onesiphorus was faithful to Christ. And that made him faithful to Paul. What this tells us is that Christians must demonstrate faithfulness. Faithfulness is a sign of saving faith even. We must be faithful to Christ and His gospel. What a word for you and I today. How appropriate this is to be reminded that there's something greater going on than the coronavirus. There's a war for your neighbor's soul. In times like this, we have to be faithful to our calling. We serve a God that's greater than this virus. Your life is not determined by COVID-19. It's in the hands of Almighty God. He's given the church a mission that continues on in this outbreak, the Great Commission. He has said, go and make disciples and mark them by baptizing them. And then after that, teach them to obey all that he commanded us. There are a lot of things that churches can be doing right now. In the midst of this coronavirus, there's there's lots that we can look to and, and consider doing. It's a great time to serve and to help those who are in need. But giving supplies is not the end goal that we strive for. We are here to make disciples, even in this time. There has to be an emphasis on the teaching of God's word, of sharing Christ with our neighbors and our family. Text them, call them, leave a note at the door, and if necessary, go to them if they need it. And the word we give them is not just a kind word we think of. We don't give them our words. We give them the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are here to make disciples. Imagine with me, imagine your neighbor. This is a neighbor who's been a good neighbor. You know that they're they're nice. They're a nice family. You always say hello to each other in passing. Now, you you don't really know them well. You just kind of know them, right? We all have neighbors kind of like like this. But you do know that, that they don't believe in Christ. Let's say your neighbor lets you know that they've come in contact with someone who has the coronavirus. Now, this may be 
an example that's very real for some of us very soon. I haven't heard of anything like this, but it may very well become a reality for you. After your initial response of sympathizing with them, of seeing if they're okay, they say that they're getting low on supplies. Will you take them some of yours? Will you give up what, what, what you have in your house and what you've done to protect you and to keep you and your family going? Are you willing to, to give that to your neighbor? I hope so. I hope so. Now, let's say this, this neighbor, they, they start to get sick. Is it all this unbelieving neighbor needs is your supplies? Do they just need a phone call from you to see how they're doing physically? Remember, this neighbor is an unbeliever. Your neighbor may come face to face with death, eternity knocking at their door. Your supplies won't help them. Being an unbeliever means they will face a God that they have abandoned and they have offended. You see, we, we all have offended God. We all have sinned. That's what sin is. It's an offense against God. God has every right to judge us in our offense. The reality is your neighbor needs more than your supplies. They need to hear, even though they have offended God, God is a loving, merciful God. He has shown us his love in his son, Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, God showed us his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died in the place of sinners. He took the sin. He took the penalty for the offense and gave new life, a life that no virus can take away. No sickness, no disease, no death, nothing can take this life away. Christ has stood in the place of sinners and taken the sin of all who repent. And he's made them his forever. And in this life he gives, it's a life that's filled with love and peace and joy. Even in times like this. You see, this, this coronavirus outbreak will end. But God's love in Jesus Christ will never end. That's what your neighbor needs to hear. Are you the person who goes to church in the good times and now you're consumed all about you because there's danger on the fringes of your life? Or are you the follower of Jesus Christ that knows there's no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and you're willing to make disciples. Let's be faithful to who we are in Christ. Follow the good example that we're given. We don't turn our faith on and off like a faucet. Because of Christ, it's who we are now. May His glory and His love radiate through us in this time. May his truth and hope overflow from us to our neighbors and they are overcome by him. 
But more than this being a lesson this morning of just making sure that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, that that we are walking in a straight path. If I just left it there, we would still be trying to do this in our own strength, wouldn't we? If I just made sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, reminding you of where your thoughts need to be, as important as that is, there's more in this text. I want to go beyond what you and I need to do, beyond the people we ought to be, and I want to come to where I think Paul's pen is leading us to. Beyond the people who have left the faith and more importantly than the fellow believer who has stayed with Paul, I want to dwell on this phrase in the text. This phrase is what makes followers like Onesiphorus remain faithful. If you have said yes to Christ, if you have said, yes, I want to be faithful, I want to be that follower who will stand even in danger and be faithful to Christ, you need to know how to do it. You don't want to be like a person who's told to to scale a cliff but falls because you slip under your own strength that fails and you're not wearing a harness. Paul is not bragging about Onesiphorus here. He doesn't say that Onesiphorus did any of this on his own. None of what Onesiphorus did saved Onesiphorus. No, Paul thinks of Onesiphorus, and then he raises his eyes up to God. And he asks God, he says, may the Lord grant him mercy. Mercy. You see, the key to understanding how Onesiphorus was able to remain faithful begins all the way back in verse 8. In verse 8, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In verse 9, God saved us and called us. His own purpose and grace he gave us in Christ Jesus. In verse 12, I'm convinced that Christ is able to guard. Verse 14, by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit given to you. May the Lord grant mercy. You see, Onesiphorus was able to do what he does for Paul because God is at work. In him. God keeps Onesiphorus faithful. God gives him strength and the desire to search and to serve Paul. And this is what you and I need to see this morning. I want us to consider three words. I just want to sit on top of three words and just dwell on these and let it sink into the depths of our soul. I want to let these three words fill our hearts, and it's these words. Lord grants mercy. Three words. These three words seem really simple, so simple that we may just brush right past them. Maybe you brushed right past them when I read it this morning. What we need to see, though, is not the people in the text, 
We need to see what all these people need. Here in four verses, Paul mentions, may the Lord grant mercy twice. He says it two times. First in verse 16, look with me please at verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. And then look down at verse 18. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. We hear the Lord grants mercy and we say, yeah, that's, that's good. That's nice. That's what I need to be with him. I'm glad he gives that. And if you spend any time in the church, you know about the need for mercy. We often equate mercy with letting someone off the hook. But when you dwell on these words, the Lord grants mercy. When you consider what's behind each word, there's so much truth and nourishment for our soul that's needed today. Onesiphorus is not an unbeliever here. He has faith. And yet Paul wishes him mercy. He wants him to have mercy. This is what every Christian continually needs. Every person would like to have mercy, but only followers of Jesus Christ receive it. Onesiphorus, he he may have been dead by this time. We're not really sure. The hard travel and being in prison to minister to Paul, that, that was hard. It may have killed him. Or he could have just been separated from his family for a while. We, we don't really know. What we do know is that this is not a prayer for Onesiphorus. This is not a prayer for the dead. Paul is expressing what he wants for Onesiphorus. He's telling the church at Ephesus, remember this letter is being written to Timothy, but Timothy's there at Ephesus and it's being read to the whole church at Ephesus. Paul's telling them what he hopes for Onesiphorus. He says, may the Lord grant mercy to him. Being faithful to Christ and his gospel, to remain strong in the faith, requires the Lord giving you mercy. God's mercy is your harness in life. Let's look at these words together. When Paul says the Lord, what is it that he's saying? He's saying that this world has meaning and purpose that go far beyond us. He's saying that we're not just some collection of cells. We didn't evolve. There's someone who reigns over this entire world. He's not some Santa Claus sitting in a chair. He's the great almighty God. The Lord who's sovereign. He's he's in control of everything. He determines your life. Calling him Lord means that he's above us and we're, we're not on the same level as him. He may consider us friends. And he says, you are my friends as followers of Jesus Christ, but we're not on the same level 
as him. You can't do anything that he doesn't know about. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. You can't escape his rule. Paul turns his thoughts from Onesiphorus upward to God and says, may he give Onesiphorus mercy. Onesiphorus can't do anything without mercy. He can't do anything to earn the mercy even. His service to Paul doesn't earn him a better position with the Lord. It's the Lord who gives. It's the Lord who grants mercy. You see, this almighty, all-powerful God who is the Lord, He's also a loving God. For His own purposes and grace, He shares mercy. If the Lord doesn't give it, you won't have it. And you're left on your own. Just like those other people who were in the church but abandoned Paul, and therefore they abandoned Christ. You'll turn away if you don't have mercy. The example Paul gives are starkly different. One is identified as abandoning Paul, therefore the Lord. The other he commends, and Onesiphorus is identified as someone the Lord gives mercy to. The way Paul writes it, it's already a done deal. This is not just wishful thinking on Paul's part. Paul is saying the blessing of mercy that God promises to his faithful servants will be fulfilled. May the Lord grant mercy. He's also saying that even someone like Onesiphorus still needs mercy. His acts, his service and ministry do not qualify him for mercy. He is in need of God to give it to him. And God gives it in continued faith in Christ. But what exactly is it? What is it that God gives? What, what is mercy? Now, this isn't intended to be a full treatise on, on mercy. There have been books and volumes of books written on mercy of God by men far greater, far smarter than me. But in simple terms, I want to give you a definition this morning of God's mercy. Mercy is God's grace and goodness given in love to those suffering in sin. Let me say that again. Mercy is God's grace and goodness given in love to those suffering in sin. We don't deserve God's grace or his goodness. But God has mercy on us who suffer in our sin. Listen to what we're told just one book after 2 Timothy in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
You have faith that he is Lord, that he's saving you from the judgment of your sin. It's all owing to God's mercy. Onesiphorus owes it to God for him being faithful to Paul. Don't look to Onesiphorus this morning and say, you know what, that's the good example. I want to be like Onesiphorus. Don't don't do that. Look to Onesiphorus and say you want to receive the same mercy that he received. J.I. Packer calls mercy the riches of God's grace. The riches of God's grace. God's mercy is seen in his redeeming love to win back sinners through the blood shedding of his own son. Mercy is part of God's glory that shows his loving kindness in the midst of the injustice against him. And he reveals his willingness to redeem. Receiving mercy is a necessary part of the Christian life. Reminded of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verse 7, which says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is a description of the Christian life. Being faithful comes out of hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of Christ and mourning our sin and seeing what Christ has done on our behalf. And then by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, we're given a heart that loves Christ. And we say, I need mercy. And now we're merciful to others. You see, it's being poor in spirit and looking to Christ to save us and redeem us. And it's mercy that God's people receive from the Lord on that day. Verse 18 Paul says, may Onesiphorus receive mercy on that day. That day is that great and glorious day when God will will judge all people. And on that day, God's people receive mercy. We keep getting mercy for all eternity. You see, God's mercy is a pardoning mercy. The forgiving of sins. God's mercy is a redeeming mercy, bringing sinners into his family. It's a glorious mercy. It shows us who God is, and it's an infinite mercy. It never ends. God's mercy is what you and I need. We don't need just protection from a virus. This virus is going to end. You and I need God's mercy this morning and every morning. It's what Onesiphorus needed to be faithful. It's what you and I need to be faithful to our calling. You see, mercy is what God is. He is a merciful God and he gives it. The Christian life starts with God's mercy and then it's saturated with God's mercy. Remembering that our faith comes from God, that our lives are then secure in his hands because he's a merciful God. You don't have to attain some status. You don't have to perform to a certain standard. All you have to say is, God, I need your mercy. Knowing that, 
And that Christ has us because of what he accomplished, not us, what he has done on the cross. That his gospel has us rooted in his righteousness and goodness and grace. That is what enables us to remain faithful, to serve our family, our church family, and our neighbors. It enables us not to cower in fear and to let it get the best of us, but to embrace what God has for us in this life and to do what he's called us to do. Because the Lord is the one who grants mercy, I urge you to ask him to give you his mercy. As a follower of Jesus Christ then, that mercy makes you courageous Ask God in his mercy to make you courageous for the sake of the gospel. Because you have received the mercy, be faithful to your calling. Let's pray.